Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry, from Here on the Dark Side. Today's case is famously known on the internet for being one of the worst interrogation videos ever. A man who had just lost his girlfriend to murder was brought in and questioned. Of course, that's normal procedure, nothing wrong there. However, these officers had tunnel vision. They saw no other reason for why this woman was killed, except that it was her boyfriend who was home at the time. What they didn't realize was that the man they were interviewing was literally dying right in front of them. I should warn you, this episode contained strong language because I was good and pissed off the entire time. So if you're not cool with hearing an occasional curse word, it's okay and a perfectly valid reason to turn it off. I first heard of this case about a year ago from one of my favorite podcasters. It's called This Is Monsters. I remember the host Giles did a phenomenal job covering this case and cleared up a lot of stuff about the case and goes into way more fine details. I will link his podcast below in my sources. This is episode 89, the case of Ryan Waller and Heather Kwan. This story takes place in 2006. Just some things happening around that time. Twitter was founded by Jack Dorsey, and back then tweets were limited to 140 characters. The iPhone wouldn't be released until the next year, so we all had Motorola razors and Blackberries. The average price of gas was $2.59 a gallon. There was the premiere of Dexter, which is my favorite TV show of all time. Britney Spears separated from Kevin Federline. MySpace was all the rage. And lastly, Google purchased YouTube for a whopping $1.65 billion. 2006 was definitely good times. Ryan Waller is an 18-year-old man at the time of the story. He was born February 12, 1988. There is very little info about him before this story. I was able to gather that he played guitar. He was also a decent rapper. His family said he could hear a beat and instantly just start rapping over it. His father's name is Don, and I am unsure about his mother's name. Ryan had just graduated high school. He is originally from Tennessee, but moved to Phoenix, Arizona with his dad when he was 10 years old. He lives in his own place now, and he has a girlfriend who is 21-year-old Heather Kwan. Heather is a college student, and together her and Ryan rented a house. They also had a roommate who was a girl named Alicia. Some people thought that Heather and Ryan were kind of an odd couple. To me, they're not. To me, they're completely normal, but some people thought they were kind of an odd couple. Ryan is 18 with dreams of playing in a rock band. Heather is a college student working on her law degree. To elaborate on that, she was attending school at Arizona State University, and her next stop was law school. Heather and Ryan had been together for about eight months, but they've only been living together for six weeks. They actually knew each other since they were kids and lived in the same neighborhood growing up. 
Brian and Heather are known to be good people, no issues with the law or drugs, just a decent young couple living in Phoenix, Arizona. There's two other characters I want to talk about that are not the upstanding citizens that Heather and Ryan are. A man named Richie Carver and his father, Larry Carver. Richie is a 24-year-old former tenant in the house that Ryan and Heather live in. No, he was not their roommate, even though it's been widely reported that he was. He had lived in the house before Heather, Ryan, and Alicia moved in. He did come back to the house a couple times to check and see if he had mail and stuff like that and maybe pick up some items that were left. Ryan and Richie didn't really know one another aside from the fact that Richie was just the guy who moved out as Ryan is moving in his stuff. There's been reports that Richie hit on Heather and this pissed Ryan off, but I don't can't find anything to back that up. Richie showed up in the middle of the night one night and Ryan caught him in the backyard and asked, what the hell are you doing here? Richie said he had a large pet iguana that had escaped when he lived there and he was checking the yard for it. Richie Carver and his dad, Larry, have extensive criminal histories. Richie, when he was 17, stabbed a guy and went to prison for four years. He only got four years because he was still a juvenile at the time. But he and his dad were basically just career criminals. And they decide that they're going to rob Ryan. But they can't have any witnesses. It'll be easy because Richie used to live there. His DNA and fingerprints and hair are all over the place, as they should be. He's a former tenant. So it won't look suspicious. They know that this new guy who moved into the house has a lot of cool shit. He's got guitars and DVD players and a stereo and lots of stuff they can steal. They know this couple is young, and what do young couples do on Christmas? They go visit family. So Richie, along with his father Larry's help, come in through the sliding glass door that night. But Heather and Ryan are home and watching TV on the couch enjoying their Christmas day. Ryan gets up to check out what that noise was at the back door, and he is ambushed. Ryan is shot twice in the head and collapses, and then Heather is shot once in the head and dies instantly. She was 21. The two men ransack the house and steal a bunch of Ryan's stuff, his guitars, and other expensive items, items that they had saw him carrying in when he moved in there. They assume Ryan is dead because he's out cold on the floor. I'll repeat for emphasis, Ryan was shot twice in the head. It's hard to fathom one shot to the head had killed Heather instantly, and he's been shot twice in the head. The men flee the scene with the stolen items. What they don't know is that Ryan survived the shooting. He's unconscious, but he will eventually wake up. Heather and Ryan had plans to go to Ryan's dad's house for Christmas dinner, and they hadn't shown up yet. Don tries to call and doesn't get an answer. Dinner is ready and everyone sits down to eat, but two chairs are still open at the table, Ryan's and Heather's. Don tries to call again and still no answer. After dinner, Don drives to his son's house and knocks on the door at 7.50 p.m., but he doesn't get an answer. So he calls the police and says they're concerned because no one is answering the door at his son's house and it looks like someone is home. He's not answering the phone. This is Christmas night, and the police department is likely short-staffed, but for whatever reason, they're really dragging their feet, and they are in no hurry to follow up on this potential missing person call. The dispatcher says she'll have an officer call him 
three and a half hours later, an officer calls him back. Don explains again that something is definitely wrong here at my son's house. The officer says, okay, we'll come out to the house and look around. We'll be there in about 30 minutes. I'm sure there's a good explanation why he's not answering his phone or whatever. Don leaves to go get a coffee up the road while he awaits the officers to arrive. In that time, he was gone, which was 15 minutes tops. Heather and Ryan's roommate, Alicia, comes home and unlocks the door and goes inside. It must have been dark or whatever because Alicia doesn't see Heather on the couch deceased and Ryan wherever he's at. She hears the knocking on the door but figures Ryan would get the door. She's on the opposite end of the house in her bedroom with the door closed and wasn't aware of all that is going on. Don doesn't know that Alicia is home when he returns. He was just out getting coffee. When the police arrive, they take their flashlights and peer between some blinds and says it looks like a body is laying there. The body was Heather's, but they don't know that at the time. They can just see a silhouette of a human body. Meanwhile, Don is outside hearing there's a body spotted inside and thinking his son is deceased. He's frantic and emotional. The police tell Ryan's family to back away from the house and they won't allow him to come near it. The police tell them that they have to get a search warrant before they can enter the house. This process took an additional hour. By the way, I don't know what it's called, but there is a special circumstance that police can enter your home without a search warrant if they suspect a murder or someone needing medical attention. There's also if they see someone hiding their drugs. I can't remember what it's called. I probably should have looked this up. But police could have entered that house without a search warrant. I'm sure there's so many loopholes with this. So by now, another hour has passed. Ryan has still has been shot in the head twice, and he's somehow still alive and needs medical care and likely emergency surgery. The police arrive with a search warrant. They know there's a dead body in this house, but they don't break down the door because the house is a rental and they don't want to have to replace the door. So instead, they call a locksmith to come out and pick the lock. This is even more time that is being wasted. They pick the lock and come inside where they are greeted by Ryan. He asks, what's going on? I think it's important to keep in mind, Ryan is 18 years old. He's never dealt with police before. He's been shot in the head twice. And what we will learn is that Ryan is experiencing severe brain damage. He is saying things that aren't making sense. He's incoherent. His brain is swelling and not getting oxygen. He's somehow able to walk, but he isn't going to be alive much longer unless he receives care. He has severely bruised eyes from the shooting and nose damage. Police think he looks like he was in a bad fight, and that's it. They yell for him to get on the ground, and he's like, well, what's going on? Don sees Ryan being let out in handcuffs and is confused as hell. First, he thought it was his son's body on the couch, and now it looks like he's being arrested for murder. But Ryan isn't a murdery type. He's not even a criminal type. Ryan looks battered and bruised. What on earth is going on? Ryan is placed in the police car where he would sit for four hours. His dad and his mom are not allowed to go over and talk to him the entire time. This is precious time that Ryan could have been getting medical attention, but the police believe he's just been in a fight. He can't tell them he's been shot because he's experiencing brain damage. He can only ask what's going on. In fact, the police tell Don, 
your son is fine. He just has a black eye. A detective named Paul Dalton of the Phoenix Police Department tells the others to take him to the station. He's going to get there after him and he's going to interrogate him. Detective Paul Dalton has been with Phoenix Police since 1989. He has an associate's and bachelor's degree in criminal justice. So you think it's a good thing. The seasoned detective is going to notice Ryan was shot and get him immediate medical attention. That's not what happened at all. Ryan is taken back to the station where his injuries were photographed a total of 43 times. He's put in an interrogation room and told to wait on Detective Dalton to show up. It's important to mention that Ryan also received a broken jaw during the time police entered the home. Because they didn't see him as a victim, they saw him as this murderer. They say he didn't cooperate when told to get on the ground, so they had to lead him to the ground. And while doing that, they used this technique on his jaw that they are trained to use, but not on innocent people. Not only is he experiencing brain damage and shooting injuries and the death of his girlfriend, now he's got police injuries as well. Now begins the interrogation process. This is the part that went viral on the internet. It shows Ryan, an 18-year-old man, sitting in a chair at the police station in a room. Detective Dalton is across the table from him. I watched it and cried my eyes out. He looks like a scared 18-year-old sitting in the principal's office. His face is battered with huge black eyes. Not from a fight, though. He had two bullets in his head. He asks if he can go home. He says he just wants to go to sleep. He kept repeating, I don't know, to Detective Dalton's questions. He appears at first to just be an extremely intoxicated. Picture yourself asking questions to a really drunk friend, like, where do you live? And the person's like, I don't know, man. That's basically what Ryan sounded like. But we know Ryan is not intoxicated. In fact, Ryan shouldn't even be alive. He's got traumatic brain injuries that are affecting his ability to give clear answers, and he still has bullets in his head, but he is unable to convey to this detective that he's been shot, and the detective isn't picking up on it, even with all these injuries. This footage was analyzed by medical professionals, and they all agree that Ryan is answering the questions, but he isn't able to give the right answers due to his brain injury. His brain wires aren't working properly. When Ryan is sitting in the room alone waiting, he takes one of the handcuffs that are attached to the table and handcuffs the wrist himself. Detective Dalton asks him if he graduated high school. He says he doesn't know. Ryan had graduated just the previous year, so this is a simple, easy answer, but Ryan can't answer it correctly. He asks what was the highest grade he completed, and Ryan answers B. This detective still doesn't see anything wrong. Ryan keeps answering, I don't know, I don't know, I just want to go home. When asked if he and Heather had an argument, he responds with, I don't think so, I forget. Detective Dalton thinks he's just avoiding the answers and is treating him like a piece of shit murder suspect. He asks who hit him in the eye that caused it to look like that. He says he doesn't know, but he thinks it was Heather, but she did it by accident. He says Heather was sitting on the couch helping Christina do her hair, and she accidentally hit him in the eye. This likely did happen, but he is pulling this memory from another incident, maybe one that took place a month prior. Detective Dalton asks him what state he is born in, and he says Michigan. Ryan wasn't born in Michigan, but his father was. So that's another instance where he's just accessing different memories. 
He asks Heather's last name and he says he doesn't know. What I see is Ryan being truthful and answering the questions as best as he can with all that he has going on. Ryan is understandably sounding almost whiny at this point. And that's not an insult. I'm just describing his voice at the time and that he is crying for help inside and he's not getting it. In fact, Ryan is a hero for trying to help, even though he has no idea what is going on. He's extremely confused. This interview is the reason why there's the rumor that Richie was Ryan's roommate. If you Google this case, it's going to come up that Richie was Ryan's roommate. Detective Dalton asks him, was Richie your roommate? And Ryan responded with, he used to be. What he actually meant was he was a former tenant. I don't know if he knows at this point that Heather was shot right in front of him. When asked if he had a girlfriend, Ryan responds with, I don't know. Detective says, well, who's Heather then? He says, I don't know. Partway into the interview, he seems to come around some. He brings up Richie Carver and his father. Detective Dalton asks, well, who's Richie Carver? And he says, he's Heather's brother. Side note, they are not brother and sister and don't even know one another. He said Richie and his dad came over with bow and arrows and shot at them, but it wasn't a bow and arrow, it was a gun. And then he actually says, well, it was two revolvers. The detective seems annoyed and frustrated and says, first you said it was bow and arrows and now you're telling me it's a gun. Ryan keeps repeating, I don't know what happened. Ryan also realizes he's been shot in the eye, almost like little bits of info are coming to him. Detective Dalton tells him that if he was shot in the eye with a gun, he'd be dead. You weren't shot in the eye. At that point, Ryan says loudly, how do you know that? Ryan says he just wants to go to sleep. Detective Dalton says, you're not going to sleep. And Ryan begins complaining that his head hurts. Detective Dalton leans in to take a closer look at Ryan and says he needs to excuse himself. He could see upon inspecting his eye that Ryan was clearly shot twice. He goes and asks for medical personnel to come take a look. Keep in mind, they took 43 fucking photos of his injuries before they sat him in that room, but couldn't figure out that he had been shot. This isn't some BB gun type injury. He was shot with a real gun, the same one that killed his girlfriend, Heather. Ryan is super lucky to be alive, but he is literally dying right in front of them, and they are wasting precious time that he could have been having emergency surgery. I want to pause for a moment to discuss this other young person's life who was lost during this time. Heather Kwan had graduated high school three years ago. She was a student at Arizona State University, and her next step was law school. She wanted to be a prosecutor and put away bad guys, just like the ones that killed her. She volunteered her time as a big sister in the local Big Sister Big Brother program. It's basically a program that pairs older students with young kids to help mentor them. Her parents are Terry and Robert, and she has a brother named Andrew. She was a sweet girl who was driven to do good in the world, and she loved her boyfriend, Ryan. When the EMTs and paramedics arrive at the police station and go into the room, it was a big oh shit moment, as it should be. They take one look at him, and they know he needs immediate medical attention. In fact, he may be past that point at this time. Ryan is dying. Ryan is not some criminal. He's not a murderer. He was a victim of a home invasion. On top of everything else, his items were stolen, his guitars, his electronics. 
All this stuff these two murderers didn't have and they wanted from him. Ryan is rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital. Don receives a call from the hospital and they tell him his son Ryan is in critical condition. One of the bullets had gone up through his nose and up into his brain. Doing that made some of the fluids head up there too and it was now infected. Since some time had passed, it would be too dangerous to operate while infected. So they pumped him full of antibiotics and had to wait until December 28th to do the surgery. That's three days later. These are doctors and they're looking at him like, did you all not see that he had been shot and was just miraculously walking around? He also had a fractured skull and six pieces of his eye socket were lodged into his brain. None of these officers are coming to the hospital to check on him or see how he's doing. Ryan spent 35 days recovering in the hospital. Once he was home for two weeks, Detective Dalton finally comes out to see him at his house and ask questions about who shot him. Ryan tells him once again, it was Richie Carver and his dad, Larry. It would take another four days until Richie was arrested. His dad, Larry, hears that Richie's been arrested and decides he's going to run. Richie might start talking and, you know, might bring up my name. But a few days later, Richie's mother goes to the police station and says, look, it wasn't just my son who did this murder. His dad was a big part of it, too. She's basically just turning in her husband because she doesn't want her son to be the one who takes the complete fall for it. She said Larry came in that night and said, I got to get out of here. I fucked up. We just killed two people. So Larry is located and arrested. In his mugshot, Larry is wearing a hospital gown because he was taken down by the canine dog since he was running from the police, and now he needed medical treatment. So, of course, his medical treatment came before his interrogation, unlike Ryan. You have the right to medical care no matter if you're involved in a crime. It would be unethical for a doctor to look at someone and say, nope, he just robbed a bank, I'm not helping him. Three days before their trial, this woman would use her spousal privilege rights to undo her words. She's not going to testify against her husband, Larry. I mean, she has that right. It's there for a reason. As much as we all hate to see her do that, he needs to go away as well. His charges were dropped because the prosecution couldn't rely on just the testimony of Ryan. Richie was found guilty of murder, burglary, aggravated assault, and misconduct involving weapons. He was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole. Heather's family was so outraged that Larry was free and walking the streets as they should be outraged after his involvement in their daughter's murder. So they went above and beyond to get a law passed called Heather's Law. This law made an amendment in this spousal privilege exception that it could be revoked if that spouse gave the info willingly, which Cheryl did. She waltzed into the police station and said, my husband did it. She wasn't giving this out during an interrogation or interview. She came out and said it. The family's efforts paid off because Larry would go to trial due to this new law. His case was reopened using Cheryl's testimony, and he was found guilty of first-degree murder, attempted first-degree murder, burglary, and aggravated assault. And like his son, Richie, he was sentenced to life in prison. This sentence didn't last long because Larry died in prison on June 30th, 2023, after only serving 10 years. 
While researching this case, I came across so much misinformation. It's almost hard to discern what is fiction and what's reality. You know how articles sometimes are reposts of other articles, and I had to filter through what's credible and what's not. So I told you I listened to a podcast about this case a while back by This Is Monsters. Giles, the host, is one of the best and extremely credible. He's got quite a cult following over on YouTube. Anyway, he sat down with Ryan's father and did an interview and was able to fill in some of these muddy areas, and he was also able to clear up a lot of the misinformation. And for that, we all thank you, Giles. I'll link his podcast in my sources if you want to check it out. Anyway, one of the rumors was the time that Heather's death and Ryan's gunshot wound took place. Heather and Ryan were shot on December 25th, but the police report noted December 23rd. The way they came up with December 23rd was that the two of them had ordered pizza on the 23rd and a delivery driver was said to be the last person to see them. But Heather's autopsy showed that she died on December 25th. Plus, Ryan's injuries were not consistent with two-day-old injuries. They appeared no more than a couple hours old. A doctor reviewed the photos and said if it had happened two days prior, there would be some scabbing and healing going on. Ryan didn't have that. It's hard to see him close up in the interrogation video, but the high-def photos released showed he was still bleeding and everything looks very fresh. By putting December 23rd, it could be an honest mistake on the police report, or it could be that they are trying to put more time in between Ryan's injuries and when he received medical attention. Another rumor is that Richie was a former roommate of Heather and Ryan. He was not. They barely knew each other. As I mentioned earlier, Richie was a former tenant of the home that Ryan was renting and had went back to get his mail a couple times and just pick up a couple items, but that's it. Don and Ryan attempted to sue the Phoenix Police Department for $15 million for Ryan not receiving medical care right away and for being treated like a murderer right off the bat. They feel that Ryan would not have had the medical problems he had from a result of the shooting if he would have been taken right to a hospital and not had a six-hour delay. The lawsuit never made it to trial, and it was dismissed. No one in the Phoenix Police Department was held accountable, and Detective Dalton would eventually retire and is living the good life on his retirement income. I also read that he teaches a investigator's training course at the local college. From what I can find, no one from the Phoenix Police Department ever apologized, and no wrongdoing was found in their, air quotes, investigation into the matter of Ryan's interrogation. During Giles from This Is Monsters interview with Ryan's dad, he gave us a glimpse into Ryan's life after the shooting, since I could find literally zero information, which is fine. Ryan had a hard life. He had to move back in with his parents so they could care for him. He had multiple surgeries. He had both eyes removed during surgery, but his right eye was put back in. He ultimately lost his left eye. He had lots of troubles with his memories and oftentimes repeated the same story, almost like dementia-like symptoms. But his biggest issue was he had a lot of seizures. He would have these violent seizures and you never knew when they were going to come. On January 20th, 2016, Ryan had a bad seizure while in the grocery store and banged his head really hard on the floor and Ryan died from the bleeding in his brain. He was 26 years old. If you look at the big picture, he died from the shooting that happened 10 years prior. 
He initially survived the shooting, but his quality of life had decreased significantly. He lost his girlfriend. He couldn't make music any longer. He lost his vision in his left eye. He had lots of medical issues. Life wasn't the same for him. I'm glad he had a family that loved and cared for him and advocated for him after he was released from the hospital. This case made me feel so many emotions. I felt angry and sad. I hate knowing that the police got off scot-free, but I'm glad that Richie is put away for life for Heather's murder and Ryan's attempted murder. I can't imagine Ryan's family watching that interrogation video and not wanting to jump through the screen. Imagine it being your own 18-year-old in that seat or yourself at 18 years old. If Heather were alive today in 2023... She would be 38, and Ryan would be 35 years old. Heather's mom, who mostly remained private, posted something on Heather's memorial page in 2021. She said, It's been 15 years today. It's taking me this long for me, Heather's mom, to be able to post anything in public about the most heartbreaking, painful thing I've ever had to endure, the loss of a child. My son and daughter are the most precious things in my life. I would have given my life for Heather to have been able to continue living her life. Unfortunately, I was not given that option. My heart is also so very broken for the loss of Ryan's life. I am so very glad I got to know him, despite the incredibly devastating circumstances that brought us together. I will be forever grateful to him and all of the others that helped to put away the murders that took my precious daughter away from me and her family and the life she so deserved to live. Thank you to all who have supported us through these difficult times and to put Heather's murderers away for life so they can never do this again. We are forever grateful. Rest in peace to both Heather and Ryan. That's it for this week, and I'll see you all again soon. Take care, and much love to you all.